How do you turn trash into cash? Welcome to Venture Voice, show number 16. I'm Greg Gallant, and today we're covering TerraCycle, a startup that makes an organic alternative to miracle Grow in Trenton, New Jersey. Now before I tell you more, let me start by saying there are two things I'm skeptical of. The first thing I'm skeptical about, as a capitalist, is so-called green or environmentally sustainable companies. Often they seem to be more about feeling good rather than providing value to the consumer or anyone or anything else. The second thing I'm skeptical of, as a New Yorker, is the state of New Jersey. So why would I travel to not just New Jersey, but Trenton, New Jersey, to get the story about an eco-friendly business? Because this eco-friendly business is all about making money. And it helps the environment along the way. This company takes garbage and lets it decompose with a batch of worms. They then use the worm excrement to make fertilizer, which is packaged as plant food in spray bottles. If that isn't cheap enough, they even package their product in used soda bottles. This isn't a little science experiment. They've raised millions in capital and are selling their product in stores such as Home Depot. The company was started by its CEO, Tom Zaki, at the age of 19 while he was in college at Princeton. He dropped out, and here's how he describes his business. TerraCycle is the world's first consumer products company where we make products entirely out of waste and package them entirely out of waste. The essence of our, of our company really is that it's a product made purely of waste, and because it's made of waste, we actually get paid or have very low raw material costs. So finally, we're giving a product to the consumers, which is organic, it's hyper-eco-friendly, it works better, and yet it's not more expensive. TerraCycle's plant has a strange feeling. Seeing a bunch of recent college grads run around innovating and striking deals is reminiscent of a technology startup. You realize TerraCycle is not the typical drop-out-of-college startup when you tour the factory. To find out exactly how this product is made, I took a tour of the factory with Abraham Diaz, the warehouse supervisor who's in his late 20s. After getting the worm poop or castings, the first step is brewing it into tea, as Abraham describes it. Well, right now we're in the brewing area. This is okay, what we great. call the um, castings right here. Can you describe what it is, what worm it looks poop. like? Worm poop. <laughs> worm poop? Worm poop. Little pebbles of worm poop. <laughs> you got no problem just put it, holding that in your hand? No, nah, it doesn't have no smell, no, nothing to it. I worked so long with it that it's just, it's like dirt to me now. Yeah, <laughs> you don't think about the worms. Nah. <laughs> when we first start this, what we do, we actually put a thousand gallons of water. Yeah. We add the castings. Well, first we add the water, then we have to make sure that it's at 75 degrees. And we have to keep it there at all times. Even if it's summertime or wintertime, we have to keep it at 75 because we, they say that that's the best brewing that we can get out of it. Then you have a guy here that shovels to make sure that he puts the same amount of um, castings in it. So he shovels shit. Yeah, he shovels shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets stirred four times a day. So, you know, early morning, mid-afternoon, almost going home and at home time to go home. And then we actually add air to an air blower that gives it air to keep everything going, all the um, nutrients going in properly. 
Yeah. Um, then we wait about two weeks and we extract it into our storage tanks. And then we just gotta clean the mess and we do it again. That tea isn't the kind you'd want to drink. It's the liquid you spray onto the soil under your plant, as you would miracle grow. But TerraCycle can't sell liquid without packaging. They clean off used soda bottles and slap the TerraCycle logo on it. But how do they clean these bottles? Well, we, we used a dishwasher for that. We actually used a Oh, wow. Again. <laughs> so it's uh, very uh, low tech in a way. Well, we're still trying. You know, we're, we're there. It's just we're still trying to grow. So we're trying to keep it the minimum we can. Yeah. Because something like that wants a lot of money. How long does that take? Probably no less than five minutes. Per five bottle? Minutes. Per bottle, yeah. That's cleaning, washing, labeling, and filling. And putting the spray top on. And how much can they output? Uh, on a good day, we could probably do five pallets in one day. Like in an eight What's hour a day. pallet? That's 48 boxes. 1,200 bottles, I think it is, in one pallet. Uh, so 2,000 bottles in a day. How many people do you need working here in the plant you, to do you that? It's four people to five. Four to five people? Mm -hmm. That's what we usually have on hand right now. The bigger the order, the more people we get. <laughs> we move up to the um, second shift, third shift, and whatever it takes to get the order out. Things haven't always been this way. TerraCycle has been rapidly growing. And how has this been scaling? Like, compared to a year ago, how much more efficient are your operations today? Well, when I first started, we were hand washing the bottles, wine bottle to wash it, where you take one bottle at a time and you wash it. Then we've moved on to the idea of producing a dishwasher where we used to do a thousand bottles a day just doing that one technique. When we got to this one, we were moving like 2,000 bottles and now we're probably moving like 2,500 in a day. Yeah. yeah, so it's increased, uh, not how much we want, but it increased to where we could have it going still. Our bottling line, you know, I constantly, like, we'll probably work a whole month washing bottles, labeling, and then we'll come over here, and we have two months of work over here, you know what I mean? Because the more bottles with labels on, the more we can do over here. So how big is this operation? I'm going to round the numbers. We have about, gosh, maybe 12 executives, about 10 people who do labor, but that number is going to grow very high. And then we have about 30 to 40 interns, a lot of interns. So you're getting a lot of people here, and I take it you're not able to compensate them cash what they're worth or what they could get other places. The, uh, we did a cool little statistic that the average pay cut that our executive took to be here is like 80% or almost wow. even higher, 90% of their original pay. I mean, but look at the caliber of the people, right? Like our VP legal, right? He used to be the general counsel for Summit Bank before he came here. I mean, he used to have 200 some odd attorneys working for him. You know, our CFO ran a hundred million dollar oil financing company. Our VP of sales, two weeks, no, three weeks ago, quit Phillips Lighting as their director of sales, you know, and came on as ours. And everyone's got similar stories. Our VP of marketing, he, before joining us, started a sales organization with 5,000 reps in it that he ran. And everyone's got very similar, you know, stories. And I think, you know, it'd be worth getting their opinions, but, uh, you know, I think people, for different reasons, not, not everyone has the same reason, but believe in the idea of what this company can do, or I mean, why would they be here? TerraCycle may be an interesting place to work, but how do people get pulled into such an odd operation? Abraham stumbled across this unusual position 
using a common job hunting technique. I looked at an ad they had in the newspaper. I came in for the interview. It was just a good, good idea. We, we started small, real small. It was like a two-man operation when we first started. And then it started growing, like the third person came in. So it was like, I was just getting people under me. So it grew pretty good. Yeah. yeah. What's your, uh, what's kind of your history before this? What were you doing? I used to be a welder. Oh, really? Yeah, structured welder. I used to build buildings and stuff. <laughs> so what, what was the most compelling thing about this idea? It was just how they started it. Like from scratch, from garbage overwhelm me on how, how much you could do with so little bit of money and a lot of garbage at once at one moment <laughs> it was weird <laughs> yeah it, it was different i never i never seen i never believed in like you know you can ever have a fertilizer organic i never all natural where you can spray it on your lawn and, and 10 seconds later you can let your kids run on the lawn and nothing happens to them compared to, you know, other stuff that's out of there in the market. Vice President of Human Relations, Elaine Garin, was pulled in by a former colleague. I found out about TerraCycle through Rick Ober, who's the Vice President General Counsel here at, at TerraCycle. He and I had worked together at Summit Bank for a number of years, and he heard that I was looking for, initially for a consulting assignment, doing some consulting, and he came to me and asked me if I'd like to be involved in this organization and would I like to do a consulting assignment that had to do with stock options and just a whole strategy of utilizing stock options at the, for the company. And I agreed to do it. It sounded very exciting. He laid out what the company was all about and what it was intending to do. And it sounded like a really great opportunity for me. So I started working for the, actually the board of directors in doing this consulting assignment. And from there, then Tom offered, after the project was done, the board approved what my recommendations were. Tom asked me if I'd like to come work full time and offered me the job, which I accepted. And it's been quite an exciting opportunity. It's a great opportunity to come work for a company that you can develop everything from scratch. You know, you create all the policies and programs and procedures and, and everything. So it's an exciting opportunity to do that. Brian Chen, now TerraCycle's Director of Logistics, was lured away from a PhD program after graduating Cornell. So I joined TerraCycle back in October 2004 while I was still a student at Cornell University. They opened up an office there and so I just uh, heard about the, the concept through an email. I ended up speaking to Steve Kurz who was an intern last summer here at Trenton who decided to open an office in, in Cornell. I loved the idea, I fell in love with the concept, thought I could really contribute to this whole, you know, the growth of a startup company and I just found it intriguing. It was very a different path for me. I mean, this was senior year, I'd suppose in around September I heard about this meeting for TerraCycle. Um, originally, during my college career, I've had plans to just pursue a PhD. I majored in molecular and cell biology, and so it was, it was really a given that I was just going to get my, my PhD. I ended up applying, got into four schools, ended up interviewing and, and everything, but I, I decided to defer, um, and the, the schools were pretty good with that. And so it's really a very different path for me at the very last minute. Long story short, I ended up just saying, you know, I'll try this out for a year. Who knows, this could last however long. Um, the school's there if I need to go, but, um, you know, I still consider the whole PhD thing and maybe even becoming a professor, which is kind of what I initially wanted to do. Try this out, see how it goes, have some fun, learn a bit about, you know, the real world, if you want to call it that. So what did these guys think about Tom, the man who pulled them into this? He was real energetic. He was out. He was going for him. He he 
when I first met him, the man hardly slept. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was, we worked out of Columbus. The, the main office was in Princeton. Me and him, he told me what he wanted done. And I started to do it, calling him and giving him numbers. And he just kept working. And he's just been trying to keep working around this. It's incredible. You know? I, I never seen somebody so dedicated to what he wants. Yeah. I, never, I never seen that. <laughs> That's what made me so dedicated to making this work. <laughs> I think Tom is a very bright, very aggressive entrepreneur, and I think he's, I just, uh, you know, I admire the fact that he, you know, dropped out of Princeton and took this on. You know, this is what a lot of, in fact, I, a lot of people, I've said to a lot of people that majority of people would not do it. You know, that, you know, if I look back in my college days, would I ever have dropped out to try and start up a company? Probably not. But, you know, it takes a certain kind of person and, you know, we need more. Those are the kinds of people. Tom is, you know, the, the entrepreneur that's going to, whether it's TerraCycle or something else, he just has that burning passion and desire to do something different and do something very valuable for the environment and for the world, and I admire him about doing that. I, I thought he was very creative, very bold. The guy really has a passion for TerraCycle. You can just see it because he's, you know, often the first one here and the last one to leave. And I just, it's one of those things where you just think, if we just work together and we, if we can all just pull a team that can just work together to fight for something that we all believe in, and which is absolutely the case here, I think there's no way we can not succeed just given enough time. So, and Tom certainly has been the driving force in many cases for that. I go into a lot of depth about this business with Tom. But I start by asking how he got into this. How did you come up with this? And how old were you when you first thought of the idea? Well, I'm 23 now. When I was 19, I just gotten into Princeton and went down there. And I'm, I'm Canadian, and my roommates are all Americans. So first thing I had to do was we go to Canada for a road trip. And we were in Montreal. And we were hanging out and, you know, my friend had a lot of, lot of trouble with his plants and uh, he was telling me how he composts in his kitchen and how he feeds worm poop to his plants and they're growing incredibly well. And that was sort of the, the, you know, the light bulb that went off because you get waste, which is someone's problem that they'll pay you to take. You can feed it to something that's ecologically sound and then make money on the end. So it's like ultimate eco-capitalism in a way. And then that's how the whole thing started. Came back to Princeton and got all our friends together and you know, we wrote a business plan. We ended up coming up with a type of machinery where we could make worm poop in a very large way. Ended up bankrupting all of our credit cards and found ourselves the summer of freshman year at Princeton shoveling shit, literally. Like it was putrid waste. I mean, you have to understand like it was maggot filled, you know, smelt horrible. Like imagine, and it was not just like a couple pounds. We had to shovel a thousand pounds of this stuff every day for two, three months. Turned out everyone ended up quitting except John and I, and uh, we kept uh, pushing it forward. And we ended up proving, you know, that the worm poop system works and rented our first office across the street from campus, sort of like a basement office, moved in there. I uh, ended up living there for about a year and a half and, you know, grew the, grew the company from there. All your friends are going to parties. Everyone tells you when you're young, you know, look forward to going to college. You're out on your own. There are girls, there are parties. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to do this with all your time? What, what motivated you? It was just exciting. I mean, I love just the ability to create something and and especially create something in a very big way. You know, I'm a big fan of trying to make an impact in whatever way I can. And having a company 
is a great way to do that because if you create a profitable model, it grows. It really grows. I mean, it's beautiful to watch because it grows at such a fast speed. And that's the excitement for me, you know, being able to do something. And it's really cool now because now, you know, I get to be 23. You know, we're, we're a, we're a well-funded company. We have lots of great executives. We're distributed in Walmart, Home Depot, all these big players. And so we get to really have a lot of fun because we're playing with real things. And that's, that's really cool. It seems like it takes a lot to build a business like this before you can see your first dollar of revenue. How much money did you have to pile into this before you could really start selling it and where did that money come from? Well, at the beginning, you know, what happened was being 19 and 20, you can't go out. Or it's very difficult. And let me never say you can't, but it's very tough to go out and raise money from classical investors. I mean, forget venture capital, even private investors, it's tough. So what we did is we entered business plan contests. You know, every school seems to have one of these and they come with five or $10,000 purses and we just kept winning them all. Our seventh one was one for a million dollars and it was fun. You know, we went in just totally casually, just the way I'm dressed today. And everyone else, these are all grad students, like from Harvard B School or Wharton or you know, all these top-notch places, and we were these undergrads. And everyone was wearing the iBanker costume or outfit or whatever, you know, black suit, uh, everything. And so no one spoke to us. We ended up winning the million-dollar competition, but it was an offer of funding for a million. So we got our first true taste of venture capital. This company, you know, wanted us to, pretty much for me to, rec you know, get rid of my management team, which had worked so hard to get us to where we were, to change the total idea of the company and really move away from garbage. The guys didn't even value the eco aspect of the whole thing, which is fundamental. We ended up turning the money down, which was a big turning point for the company because I had 500 bucks in the bank and we had just turned down a million dollars. We went out because we had to sell product to make some money. So we went out and went through everyone's recycling container in the in the Princeton area and found every soda bottle we possibly could. And it turned out that it was really cool because within soda bottles there's only four possible volumes, half a liter, one liter, you know, two liter. And then within each volume they're all uh, the same, it's, it, you know, relatively speaking. So it's the same height, same diameter, same cap tread, all this stuff. So you could run it through a high-speed bottling line. So, wow. And it's neat because on our shelf when you go and look at this product and say Home Depot, you'll see the balls are all slightly different. Never been done in the world before. And that really crystallized our concept. And that, you know, for any entrepreneur, that's what you really need is a simple, clear idea. That's bankable. Within four months, we'd raised $1.2 million from private investors, from institutional investors. We're right in the middle now of raising a second round of $5 million, of which we've already closed 1.25 of that. And it looks like we probably will close the balance in a couple of months. But we can only do that. I mean, we, the whole catalyst for that was a very clear and simple idea. You know, a one sentence idea. And that's really important because a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, sort of have it in their mind. But if you can't explain it in like a sentence, then your idea isn't crystal enough yet. And so that's what sort of that competition allowed us to do was sort of out of fate move to something that we think is pretty cool. And, you know, because it's the world's first product made and packaged entirely out of, you know, waste, it has a lot of firsts. Like, yeah, you know, we're the first company in the world to package and use soda bottles. We're the first company in the world to have people, elementary school students, high school students go out and literally collect bottles. We had half a million bottles saved from the landfill last year and, you know, programs like that where people went out and did ball collection drives. There's so many things, you know, that allow us to be so incredibly unique and it's all catalyzed off that clear, simple idea. So what's that one sentence that you're giving to use to describe your business? It's really easy. It's we're the world's first product made and packaged entirely out of waste. And what's the benefit to consumers? 
it's here's the benefit I'll diverge a bit and explain it but you go into say a grocery store and you see a banana normal conventionally grown banana for 50 cents a pound right beside it you see an organic locally grown banana for a dollar a pound which one would you buy 50 cent right and you and I think you speak for most Americans 5% of Americans will probably buy the dollar banana but they know that they're sacrificing dollars in foods, it's a little different, but you know, say size, not necessarily taste, because I'd say taste of organic foods is better. But going even a step further, can do that with soap. Say conventional soap, dollar a bar, and organic soap, two dollars a bar. You're probably sacrificing the potency and the price, right? So you're you're doing a quality sacrifice and a price sacrifice to go organic. What we're doing is by making it out of waste it's actually cheaper for us to make than it is for the big companies to make it. You know, we get our soda bottles from places that only charge us the weight of the plastic for these bottles. So we have a cheaper source of soda bottles than say Coke or Pepsi do. We can produce a product cheaper than the big companies can. And on their playing field, like we're talking mega scale, and we do that because we're so extremely uh, environmentally friendly. And so what we bring to the consumer is a product that, because it's made from waste and packaged in waste, it's organic, it actually works 30% better than any chemical fertilizer on the shelves, and most importantly, it's cheaper. So there's no reason not to get it, you know, and it's translated, we've had great sales so far. Now that it's going, it's easy to see the benefit here, but I imagine in the testing phases, it was harder to convince that it's something that you could really grow into a business and that you were capable of doing it. What did you find was the trick to finding these business plan competitions and to presenting in a way that you're able to win these business plan competitions? Ah, so what's the trick of winning business plan competitions? Good yeah. question. It's all about the presentation. And here's the thing, right? Presentations, you probably, I mean, you see these in school all the time, like in college, you know, professors give presentations in business, you see them all the time. And mainly they're these PowerPoint slides which are the most boring thing you have ever seen in your life. You know, people make this mistake of writing out every point, every sentence they're gonna say and pretty much read off their PowerPoint. It'll put, put people to sleep. The trick to a winning presentation is you gotta make it exciting. You gotta make it like a show. You know, you have to get people to understand, believe, and then get excited. If you can do those three things, you, you've, you've got it. And usually that's done with very little text and just clear, concise ideas well presented so that you know when we give a powerpoint people stand up and start smiling you know and they're like shit finally i'm waking up you know and that 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 does it and that's not just in business plan contests but it's how you win investors it's how you win retailers hell it's how you win your end consumer in the end you know it's by having a very exciting presentation you know and it translates not from just your powerpoint presentation which is what you need for investors retailers and business plan competitions but it's also, you know, what is your presentation to the end consumer, which is your package, your POP, your advertising. All that stuff has to be something that makes people stand up and be like, wow. A lot of companies have trouble managing one intern. They don't know what to do with them. Ah. No one wants to take the time out of their day to show them around. They make them file or they sit mm -hmm. around and they play solitaire. How do you manage 40? Interns are great. I love interns. And here's the cool thing. All the interns are my peers, right? So it's not, this is not a normal internship. This is totally different. People come and you know, I let them live at my home. We have a really big house about a mile from here that's 12 bedrooms or something. So everyone lives together there. And you come in and you work here. And because this organization doesn't have ageism in it, because you got so, you know, your CEO is 23, your executive's average age is probably 50. You know, and then you have interns who are maybe average age of 
20, you know, you have a very cool dynamic. And yes, there's a huge amount of grunt work. There's a huge amount of grunt work at any company for anyone. You know, you can't ever come in and expect to be sitting in and just be doing creative brainstorming all day. That's a big misconception, no matter if you're, you know, a senior vice president or if you're a lowly intern. But what we say is, look, you know, there's a lot of grunt work to do and we get through that. But then again, if you have a cool idea, help implement it, we'll support it and we'll try it out and we'll make it a reality. You know, last year an intern created an, you know, their own product line. This year they helped produce our first infomercial, which is going to start airing in a couple of weeks. I mean, really cool things that get out in the real world. This is not an internship where you deliver coffee, not an internship where you collate, and especially not an internship where you spend all summer doing something that never sees the light of day, which is what most internships are. This is the total opposite. You work very, very hard. You get to live and work with you know, some really cool people from different places and you get to produce stuff that really impacts you know the future of this company and to date we've probably had over you know over god over like 125 interns go through this company you know i was saying we have 15 people moving in in two days and just from all over the place we've had interns from france from turkey from all over the u.s and canada uh, we run an internship program up in canada as well and it's really neat because you get to find people who really believe in the concept and many times people who are interns come on and join us full time. How do you get these people with these kind of top pedigrees? The, the hot thing now it seems in college is more investment bank and consulting and those type of firms than operations and manufacturing. How do you, how do you shift that tide? Yeah, I think if we were a normal manufacturing company, it'd be you know, tough to make ourselves sexy, but I think we're a pretty damn sexy manufacturing company in that we do some really revolutionary things. We have a lot of firsts that have never been tried before, and that's what we show. We're like, look, it is possible to do something that's never been done before, and let's keep making things that haven't been done before and try. I mean, why not? You know, Our investors allow us to do it. We have a great team who's going to help you know, support it. And that's what we're here to do. And I think that's what draws people because, yeah, you could take an internship at Goldman Sachs or you know, Merrill Lynch or all these places, but you know what you're going to end up doing? You're going to sit you know, at some high rise in Manhattan and you're going to be making PowerPoints and that are never seen probably. Would you rather do that or would you rather be down here in Trenton having a really eclectic, exciting, demanding experience that shows you really what it's like to grow a business? That's a pretty good pitch, except Trenton. Why, why Trenton? Well, exactly the same reason why garbage. Not to equate Trenton and garbage in any way, but Trenton is the third most dangerous city yeah. in North America. Some stats about Trenton. In, uh, 80,000 people live here. It's five by five miles, the city, and there's 35, 36 murders a year. We're probably visible minorities here right now. It's very poor, and because of all these reasons, it's perfect for TerraCycle. Because what we try to do is, if you go to sort of helping the social cause, the environmental cause in an extreme, you know, not just making a product out of recycled material, but making out of trash, or not just, you know, giving back to the inner city, but locating in the inner city, your bottom line actually significantly increases. We pay very little in rent. There's so many people who want to work for us labor-wise that we're, you know, we don't, we have a great supply of labor, highly skilled, great people, and that's what Trenton brings. It allows us to do things, you know, that we wouldn't be able to do if we were located in a very affluent city, for example. The DEP, the, you know, the inspectors, everyone is on our side. You know, everyone's pulling for us here versus, you know, trying to create hurdles if we were in a very wealthy area. So Trenton is ideal. You know, the more we can do in the inner city, 
I, I, I feel great about it. And the beauty is, and I love this because I'm wearing my greed hat the whole time. It's cheaper. Hell, that's why we're here. But then again, we get to be bringing jobs to a city that needs jobs. We get to be fixing buildings you know, and, rent, and, and bringing life to desolate, abandoned areas. So, you know, we get to be a cause and a greedy capitalist organization at the exact same time. And that's cool. It's like the ultimate win-win. And how many companies can you point to, especially in manufacturing, that everything they do is good? What does it cost to make each bottle of TerraCycle? Can't tell you that. Sorry. It's under uh, non-disclosure? Um, yeah, it's confidential. But I can say that our margins are growing and we have good margins. Can you tell me what you're going to sell them for? Our 20-ounce bottle retails at Home Depot for uh, $3.97. It's one of the cheapest plant foods there. Our two-liter bottle will retail in Home Depot for about $6.97. Great value. And our orchid and African violet juices, which are both 20-ounce, will retail for the same 20-ounce price of $3.97. Uh, we have a jelly product as well, which is about 4 bucks and a, for a quart and for a gallon. It's under 10 And then we also sell solid worm poop as well. And uh, we sell that just locally, so you have to call us and we'll give you a price. It's a Trenton special, yeah. But I think we have a really good product offering at really great prices. And that's, you know, it's been really important for us not to get labeled as sort of just an organic product. We are organic, but we keep that on the back of our package. We don't really make it blatant up front. Like if you look at this bottle here, the only place it says organic is the back. And that's because we want people to buy this because of a great price and a great product, not because it's organic. But they should feel great about the fact that it's organic, great about the fact that it's packaged. This is packaged in a used Pepsi bottle. You know, it's this bottle was collected by some kid, you know, in a school somewhere around North America. All that stuff is really cool, but that's the reason you should buy is because it's great, works real well, and it's a great price. Where can it be bought today? In Canada, you can buy it in Home Hardware, Walmart, Home Depot. In the U.S., you can go onto our website. We have, you know, a number of small retailers carrying it. You can buy it on homedepot.com. If you're in New Jersey, you can buy it in Home Depot. And without telling you specifics, in about three months, you should be able to buy it in any location in North America. Uh, but I can't tell you where. Yeah, so that's a big step, I guess. You have Huge to do step. a lot of selling. Between we, now we, and we, then. We've actually already got it. I just can't disclose who the retailers are yet. But we should be in the next three months nationally distributed with most of the major players in the U.S. So, what do you see this company being worth? Let's say that you're down the road. It's it's a tough call. It, we're worth what someone's willing to pay for us. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, our goal is probably to sell the company at the end. You know, that's probably what we're moving towards. I don't know. Hopefully a lot, hopefully quite a bit. But it all depends on our sales and, frankly, what people are going to pay for it. Where were the sales last year? Last year, when we just launched the product, uh, middle of, you know, sort of, we had six months last year for, for some tests, you know, some trials. We did about 175,000. This year, we're going to be above a half a million. And next year, we could well be three, four million, somewhere in there. We're projecting 1.5, but I think we're going to be a lot higher than that based on everything that's happening right now. How has Miracle Grow and all your other competitors responded? They haven't responded yet, but I'm sure once we really start taking a lot of their shelf space, which I think we're going to start doing, then I think they might respond. And hopefully they're going to respond with an offer to buy, not some way to beat us. But I think that we have a product that is very hard to knock off because it's a whole story. There's a revolution behind it. It's got stuff that you just can't copy. And so I think we're, we're very lucky that way. And yeah, and it's stuff that you can't copy and yet there's no patents really. So it's really neat. It's a cool paradox. Have you not patented it because you can't or because of conscious decision that it's not worth doing the patent? 
Conscious decisions. Uh, we've kept a lot of stuff secret. We have a patent pending on the use of used soda bottles as packaging, uh, which is pretty powerful. But it's just the business decisions that we made along the way. Would it be tough, let's say, if someone hired away one of your workers in the back room? Would they be able to set up a shop like this? Nah, I doubt it. I doubt it. A lot of the aspects of the company, not just our product, but what helped us put it together is unique to this company. I mean, walk around, you know, if you walk outside, in the next, you know, we have a group of 20 graffiti artists that are spray painting the entire building with fabulous urban graffiti art. They just did a 150 foot wall outside. And in the next six months, you're gonna be spray painting the entire building. I mean, it's things like that. It's our intern program, our, our you know, our how our team is made up, our product, our vision, our, you know, everything. You can't knock this off. I don't think you can, at least. It's pretty radical stuff you're doing. You've taken on a lot of money. I imagine you've given up a lot of equity control. Yeah, sure. And, you know, a lot of people in private equity and venture capital are of the mind that the CEO who starts the company isn't the one who can scale it and keep growing it. How have you kept everyone on the same page, you know, kept yourself kind of in the hub and stayed with this kind of more radical vision despite taking the money? Investors believe. The moment investors stop believing, I'm going to be out of a job. And that's cool. You know, if, if, if in two years I'm not the right guy to keep scaling the company, you know what? By all means, that's cool because, you know, it's whatever the company needs. I don't mind. And so far, investors believe in what I'm doing. Team believes in what I'm doing. I've got great support. And I'm, while I maintain that, I'm going to be the CEO. The moment I lose the belief and people don't trust me anymore or don't believe in the ideas, then I won't have a job. And you don't have a college diploma right now. I'm a college dropout. Yeah, they're all working for someone with a high school degree. It's not bad. Oh, yeah, I remember last we talked, you, you said college was on hold. Now, now your dropout status, you're joining that elite club with... Uh, Gates and all that? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I have full intent to go back to school. Princeton's great because I'm on indefinite leave officially. Indefinite leave lasts forever till you go back. I it sounds like something out of Animal House. Sort of something super, like that. Uh, detention or yeah, super detention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it, it, it's a really great, you know, I'm really lucky that Princeton has such a, you know, it makes it really comfortable for me to take as long as I need to, to work, you know, through this and, and build it, you know, and then at one point in time sell the company. And then I'll go back to school. So that's, that's the goal, at least. So I don't want to be a dropout forever, but today I am. So what's your advice to college kids out there right now who they've got that entrepreneurial itch, but all the social pressure is, you know, to go to parties and to start applying for internships. How can they be entrepreneurial in college? How do you be entrepreneurial in college? You just do it. Put it this way. If, you know, if you have the entrepreneurial bug and you believe in an idea you've created strong enough, then all these other factors that draw you away, like going to party or you know applying for internships will disappear. You won't want to do them. If though, you aren't sure enough in your idea, yeah, you're gonna have those pressures emerge in a big way and you're probably gonna you know, go party or whatever, which is cool. I mean, that's totally fine. The real test is, can you convince yourself that your idea is strong enough and you wanna commit enough years of your life to it and all the ups and downs, I mean, there are some major ups and downs to go out and, and do it and then you'll do it, you know? But if you can't convince yourself, you're not gonna convince anyone else. It's really that first big sort of leap of faith, you know, to go out and to say, yeah, why not? You know, let's try it. But you have to have an idea that compels yourself first. What was the worst day that you had in TerraCycle? There's been many bad days. We flirted with bankruptcy, God, like more times than I can even count. Yeah, you have major disasters. And with growing, you know, our company's growing very fast. And because of that, many times the company's on the line in certain cases. And you just got to, you got to deal with it. You got to manage it. You got to be, 
you got to just push through. And it's sort of like this roller coaster, you know, like you go up and down these, you know, major ups and downs, and you sort of never think there's going to be an up when you're down. And uh, as long as you hold on, that's the trick. You can't give up when you're going down because there is going to be an up again. As long as you hold on and you believe in your concept and you keep pushing through, you know, serendipity is manufactured in a way. Like, you'll, you know, if you work hard enough, it'll come. But you just got to believe in it. And many times people actually, you know, I've seen it so many times where people, you know, they'll leave the company or, or they just will give up just before it happens. And usually people quit just before it happens. It's, it's really interesting to see that. And so that's the hardest time, you know, just before it happens. So when people start quitting, you get ready to uh, start counting the dollars? It doesn't quite work that way because you can't see the up, you know. It's very depressing in the low, t- in, you know, in, in low moments very depressing but you know you just sort of have faith and if you know if you have faith in your idea at least for us it's come through many many times and the cool thing is is when you sort of emerge from one of these ups and downs at least for me our company's grown by 10x and suddenly you know it's not a hundred dollars that's a big decision but it's a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand whatever you know the number is but usually it grows like that which is really neat to see how busy are you now what's your schedule for the rest of today well, after this, I've got a huge amount of office work to get through. You know, like I said, I have to sit with some graphic people and redesign our labels. And then I'm going up to Pepsi to talk to them about a partnership. And then my girlfriend's flying in from Korea. She's a concert pianist, so I have to pick her up from the airport, then run back here, and I have probably an all-nighter to pull before I have some presentations in the morning to give. So that's a pretty busy, pretty busy day today. Pretty normal, though. So you're that busy. Is that tough with the girlfriend? Too? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But, you know, she's really just a phenomenal artist, and, you know, she also you know goes on tour many times she's actually she's coming back from korea in five days going on a tour i believe it's around europe i think you know giving concerts and you know so she has a very intense lifestyle too and i think can understand sort of where i'm coming from but sometimes it's tough Uh, you know she's a really cool person and i think i'm really lucky to have someone who you know who also shares just really committing themselves to something in a big way. So are you going to be uh, putting her on the on the labels of Tyler? Uh, no, no, no. She's just a great supporter. It's uh, it's fun. We actually got set up by an investor out of the blue. He uh, funds her management uh, to book concerts, and you know he's he funds us. And I thought I was going in to get ripped apart by his management team, you know, that sort of thing. And she thought she was coming in to talk about her CD that they were producing. And his whole ploy, he's 86, it's classic, was really to set us up in the first place. And I don't think she wanted to be set up anyway, but it sort of worked out, which was neat. So when they talk about investors making important introductions for you... uh, That was a very important introduction, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he sort of sees himself as a matchmaker and pulled this one off pretty well. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. TerraCycle has been a fun company to watch grow. I wrote about them in the spring of this year for Business Today magazine, and they've come a long way since then. It's tempting to think that only software or internet companies can be started by people straight out of college, since they have such low barriers to entry. Tom shows that other industries are vulnerable to college entrepreneurs, too. But maybe what an entrepreneur needs to do in a software company isn't all that different from what an entrepreneur needs to do in a manufacturing business. Both have to rally a great set of employees, customers, and investors around a compelling business proposition. That's our show about TerraCycle. Please keep sending your great show ideas to talk at venturevoice.com and leave comments on our website at www.venturevoice.com. 
You can also find show notes at our website. Until next time, this is Venture Voice, entertaining entrepreneurship. Thank you.